Well, I warned you last week, because we're moving through these uh, Advent themes. Last week, the theme was joy. The king comes with joy. And I warned you last week that uh, I'm preaching about something I experience far too seldom. I'm sort of a melancholy. I'm not without joy. I have a lot of fun and joy inside. But it's not something that I find easy to capture. It's elusive. And if that was true of last week's theme, it's true on steroids of this week's theme. Because this week... We are talking about peace, Advent peace. The king comes with peace. And I find, you may not be like me, I might be one of the few in the room, but I find peace, I mean, sustainable, deep, life-changing peace to be something that's a little bit fleeting, tough to find, tougher to maintain. And you can't be a Christian for very long without realizing "Mm, peace is sort of the norm for this group of people. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I'm wondering, how in the world can I find it? Why am I so easily disturbed or distracted? Why is peace so tough to catch and even tougher to hold on to? If peace were a commodity, I think many of us If it were a currency, I think many of us would have to admit that we're a little bit impoverished. It's like it's very difficult to get in your pocket and keep in your pocket and have touch your heart and to live in this growing sense of peace, whatever that peace is. We long for it in abundance, don't we? But have it so seldom. We have it sparingly, if at all. Some people would say, They very rarely, the norm for them is not peace, it's turmoil. It's just like everything we see around us in the world. There's an interior version of that. Many people would say that. But I don't want you to feel too bad if you're struggling with peace and if peace is an elusive uh, experience for you as well because Jesus even seemed to be confused about peace. I mean, at first raw reading of Scripture, Listen to some of the things that are said about Jesus and the topic of peace, because the king comes with peace, but listen to what is said about Jesus or by Jesus around the subject of peace. He seemed to be a little bit confused about it too. For instance, Isaiah 9 was talking about this coming Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And this is one of the texts that I'm talking about that speaks of the king coming with peace. Peace is normal for him. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Doesn't sound like my life right now. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So you have this king announced that's coming with peace, a government of peace, no end to the peace. Matthew 5, Jesus shows his value for peace, the strength of the peace he intends to bring by blessing people who promote it. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The king comes with peace. But I think Jesus must be a little bit confused when I look at this text at first glance. 
Because the same person that is said to bring peace, have a kingdom of peace, a no end to the, to the peace in his kingdom, also goes, goes on to say that he comes to destroy peace. He comes to bring peace. He comes to destroy peace. Luke 12, Jesus' words. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think, he's speaking to his apostles here, do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? And I would say, yeah, because we just read it. You just said it. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. And I'm thinking, look, we don't need the Messiah to be confused. We've already got a handle on that. Matthew 10, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So if you're wondering about peace, if you're a little bit confused about peace, if you're hungry for more peace than you actually experience, and actually average peace or not enough peace is the norm for you, don't feel too bad, because at first glance, anyway, it seems as though Jesus is just as confused. Now, of course, he isn't confused, and of course, he does have a deep understanding of what he's talking about when he speaks of peace. It's just that when Jesus speaks of peace, he's obviously talking about something different than what many of us think about or speak of when we talk about peace or long to experience peace. Here's a text that helps me understand the apparent confusion of Jesus. Really, he's not confused at all. But he says this also in John 14. Peace I leave with you, but not just any peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he says his peace is different. He says, I do not give you as the world gives to you, I'm not giving you this pseudo-peace that's offered to you that you're always grasping for and can never catch. I do not give you peace the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I'm giving you the peace I give to you, not what's there for the taking every day as the world gives it. So Jesus, at first glance, at least in my reading, seems to be a little bit perplexing. I came to bring it, I came to not bring it. I came to offer it, I came to destroy it. I came to bring peace, no, I came to bring a sword. The peace that he brings is a different kind of peace. There are some things that are unique to Advent peace, this peace that Jesus brings. What I want to do this morning is to unpack that a little bit. Look at a couple of things that help us more accurately understand the peace that Jesus is bringing. How can peace be offered at the same time a sword is offered. How can there be calm on earth at the same time Jesus is igniting flames all over the place? It's a different kind of peace. Some things are unique to it. Here's the first point I'll make. This peace that's an Advent peace, this peace that the king brings, is a peace that thrives around fear. Now, listen, I know Jesus says, do not be afraid. You hear that term all uh, throughout the teaching of Jesus. We read that throughout Scripture. What it really is talking about is it's giving us this sense. Don't be dominated by your fear. 
You can't live life for very long without experiencing fear. But this peace that Jesus brings, this Advent peace, this peace that the King brings, is a peace that thrives around fear. It doesn't need fear, but it thrives around fear, as opposed to retreating from fear, being dominated by fear. The greater the fear, the greater the potential for peace, the greater the strength of the peace when we actually have it. All I'm trying to do with this point is to get us to understand this and encourage you uh, to further study. There is very often, in the Gospels especially, a connection of, in some, some way, a connection between fear and peace. A connection. Because this peace that Jesus brings thrives around fear. Most would agree that you can't be afraid and have peace at the same time, right? I mean, I don't have to argue too long to get people to understand that, yeah, most people would say that. Uh, peace and fear don't go together, but the peace Jesus brings is different. In fact, the gospel often, as I said, links peace, the gospels link peace and fear. So there, this Advent peace is not the absence of fear, it's the opposite of fear. But peace and fear often coexist. It's not the avoidance of fear, it's the defanging of fear. This gospel peace, this Advent peace, is not the denial of fear, it's the conquering of fear. I mean, haven't you uh, ever said or heard somebody say, I'm going to go do such and such, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to go on a missions trip and, uh, and, and address some of the injustices in uh, India. You say, well, aren't you afraid of what could happen there or some of the things? Yeah, I'm afraid. Well, then why are you going? Because I'm afraid, but I kind of have a peace about it. So peace and fear exist at the same time. In fact, the presence of fear strengthens the presence of the peace. There's something unique and peculiar and, and magnetic, attractive about that kind of peace when the peace is going to exist with the fear. I, I'm afraid, I don't have to pretend I'm not afraid, but I have this ability to be stable and confident and at peace even while there's danger all around me because this peace thrives on fear. It doesn't retreat because of fear. John 20, you have the apostles hiding for fear and Christ's response to them is to challenge them to have feast. So this is what, the, the apostles are in trouble, they, they're afraid of what's gonna happen, they're gonna be arrested, they're gonna be killed, they're gonna lose everything. They're gathered together, it says in John 20, I'm at verse 19, uh, they, they're gathered in this room for fear. They're already afraid. Lock the door, bolt the door. They're already afraid, put yourself in this position, they're afraid, and then in order to ease their fear, Jesus comes through the wall, pops into their presence, and says, peace. Like, be cool at peace. There's fear and there's peace in the same room at the same time because those concepts are often linked. In Luke 2, this text that we've been reminding you of week after week during Advent because it's one of the prominent Advent texts. We have the shepherds out in the field and then uh, they're just minding their own business, managing their, their flocks. And then the angels come and the host of angels come uh, comes and sings to them, and they're afraid. In fact, the text says they were exceedingly frightened. They were, they were very, very afraid. Their knees were knocking. They were shaking. They were seeing things uh, through blurred vision. 
They were so afraid. And then the, the, the announcement is this. Stop being afraid. This isn't bad, dangerous news I'm bringing to you. Don't be dominated by your fear. This is a message. This is good news. It's a message of peace to all the earth. This peace that Advent speaks of, this peace that seems at first glance to confound Jesus, is a different peace. And he said it was a different peace, right? I don't bring you what the world brings you. Peace I give to you, but it's a different kind of peace. It's not the result of hiding from the numbers, but knowing where and how to move the decimal point so that the numbers work for you. That's Advent peace. It puts things into perspective, Advent peace. It can coexist with fear. That's the first thing I wanted to bring up to you. And I don't intend to answer all the questions. That probably offers more questions, begs more questions than it offers. But I want to encourage you, go back to the Gospels and read from that context and that understanding. How and why are peace and fear linked in Jesus, in the message. How or why should peace and fear maybe be linked in my life? Where is there fear that I'm allowing to dominate where the fear should actually yield to the peace? I'm a, I have fear, but I also have a peace about something or should have it and move forward. That's the first point. This is a peace that thrives around fear. That's one of the ways it's different. There's a second feature of this Advent peace that I wanted to bring up for us to think about. So this is a peace that thrives around fear, not retreats from it. But this is also a peace that runs not away from challenges, but toward them. It runs toward the bullets. This is a peace that can take things on. This is a substantial peace that makes a difference in people's lives. This peace invites us to move toward challenges, move into challenges, address danger, find places and things and issues that need to be changed, and to actually, while we're still a little bit afraid of them, move toward them to change them. It's a courageous peace. It's an activist's peace. It's not a passivity. It gets things done. You know, we tend to think of peace as things like the absence of disturbance. So, it's the opposite of being disturbed or in turmoil. We tend to think of peace in terms of no war, no violence, nothing upset, no carts being turned over, no dust being raised, nothing being brought up that upsets us. But this is not Advent peace. Advent peace has the confidence to move toward disturbances. Most would agree that the absence of disturbance is sort of a good context for finding peace but not Jesus. The place of Advent peace is where the needs are. It's a very, very different concept of peace. His is a peace uh, that gives us the freedom not to move from disturbance, but freedom in disturbance, peace in a disturbance. There's turmoil everywhere and there's still calm. There's turmoil everywhere around me, but there's still calm in me. And we move toward that turmoil. That's the peace that Jesus is talking about. Not necessarily the absence of war, but an internal calm even in the midst of war, no matter what that war looks like. This peace is a peace that runs toward the bullets. And man, isn't that needed by the church today? 
The church has always run toward the bullets, hasn't it? When there has been uh, plague on earth, when there has been sickness, the last ones to leave, even at great risk to themselves, first ones to get there and the last ones to leave, throughout history, you look at it, has been the faith community. With peace. Do you think folks were not afraid of leprosy when they went and addressed the needs of lepers? Do you think folks were not afraid of more recently uh, HIV, AIDS, and different kinds of challenging diseases? No, but yeah, they were afraid, but they still had a peace about moving into where they were afraid. Because this Advent peace that Jesus talks about is different. Peace give I to you, but not as the world gives. As God gives, I give you that kind of peace. So that even when there's fear, you still move toward the thing that causes the fear because you have an internal peace about it. It moves toward the bullets. John 16, 33. I tell you these things. What things? I'm leaving. You're not going to see me. Then you're going to see me. I'm going to send you to do the same work that the Father sent me to do. When you start looking at what that means and what that costs, and they would have seen all of that, these apostles, get a little bit afraid. I tell you these things so that you will have peace. How does that message bring peace? And then he guarantees trouble and peace at the same time, he says, one of the most well-known texts among Christians. In the world, you will have trouble. That's a promise too. But take heart. Be encouraged. Have peace. I have overcome the world. In the world, you will have trouble. Man, that's not a promise Christians love to claim. Yet Jesus offers it. The norm for the followers of Jesus is trouble. It's challenge. Why? Because we're diving into that challenge. Why? Because in that challenge are people who need help, people who need answers, people who need a friend, people who need hope. People who need a good message. And that's where we go. That's what's normal, trouble. We're always kicking over a can someplace. We're always stirring up dust someplace. The church moves toward injustice. The church moves toward the things that are wrong. The church moves, when she's healthy, moves towards the messes, not away from them. It doesn't mean we have no fear of what's going to happen. It just means we're not dominated by the fear. This is a peace where fear and, and peace can work together, walk hand in hand. This is a peace that causes us to move toward the challenges, toward the bullets. That's normal Christianity. You can and will, Jesus says, have trouble and peace at the same time. Advent peace isn't found for moving away from challenges. It's found moving toward challenges. That's a very different peace than the pseudo-peace promised to us by the world around us. In the same context, and I think it makes sense when you really consider the message that's being brought by Jesus to the apostles, in the same context that he offers these challenges and implies this definition of peace, goes on and says, here are some of the specifics about how this is a different thing that I bring you than what the world is bringing you. Jesus anticipates a question that they must be asking. 
going to ask the band to make its way up to the stage here as I dive into this last little section. So band, come on up. But Jesus anticipates this question because if they're understanding him properly, they're starting to get a little bit nervous. Wait, we have the same ministry that you have? Look at what it got you. Arrested, in trouble, uh, punished. That's why we lock ourselves behind closed doors when you leave Jesus. They're understanding what's going on. Jesus is saying, you've got the same ministry that I have. God has called you, the Father, to the same thing he's called me too. And I want you to have the kind of peace that can coexist with fear and not be stopped by fear, that can defang the fear. I want you to have the kind of peace that's so stable, so substantial, so lasting that it calls you to move not away from challenges but toward them. The kind of peace that when you finally get to be an empty nester decides that it's time to go and take into your home a very needy young child who will sort of be kicked aside and left behind if you don't take on that challenge. It's the kind of peace that moves toward the injustices, not away from them. And these guys did what I would have done. In fact, what I still do sometimes, I started getting a little nervous. So he's like, Lord, that's okay for you to do, but why do you have to call me to that? I have plans. I'm I just bought a retirement home. <laughs> this is an impossible thing you're asking us to do. We must have misunderstood. You certainly can't be challenging us to love at the depth you love your God. You can't be challenging us to sacrifice our lives and lay down our lives the way you laid down your life. Wasn't that just sort of an example and we're sort of moved toward that? But not. Dude, I must have gotten this wrong and Jesus wants to assure them. He says, no, you didn't get it wrong. You're understanding exactly what I'm saying. And he anticipates their conclusion. This is not possible. This is impossible. Peace and fear, linking hands, coexisting. Peace that moves toward the challenges instead of the fluffy, nice, easy life we thought Jesus promised us. That can't be done. And he says, exactly, it can't be done apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's not lost on us, and it certainly was no accident, that in that context of that perplexing definition and all those challenges Jesus offers to the apostles, that in that same context, he introduces the idea and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's impossible. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, I'm not going to go and leave you as orphans. It's good news for you that I go. Because I just gave you quite a challenge, and it's good news for you that I go, because if I leave, I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the encourager. I'm going to send the paraclete, the one called alongside. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I will be with you, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I've said... Uh, a few times to this congregation that I was visiting a, um, I was visiting a, a college and listened to a lecture one time years back, and they were talking about the Godhead, who's God, and they talked about the Trinity, about how one of the things that's true about the church is that we're Trinitarian, we believe in one God, but expressed in 
and referenced in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he said, this, this professor said, I'm afraid that today we are Trinitarian in this sense. We believe in the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. And he was right. We think that we can march through life doing courageous, wonderful, fantastic, as Ben would say, noble things. Not letting fear dominate us, even though we don't have to pretend it's not there. Moving toward the fires, not away from them. And we can do that impossible task without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, without the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're, we want to pretend that that's for the charismatics, not for us. And we can officially believe in the Trinity, but we can be completely non-Trinitarian. What, what we ought to be afraid of, folks, is that we would live life without the filling of the Holy Spirit. What we ought to be afraid of is that we would, we would dare to take step one and step number two without depending upon the gifts the Holy Spirit brings. Any gift he wants to bring. Oh, that's risky. I remember the first time I prayed, Holy Spirit of God, I'm open to receiving any spiritual gift you want to give me. Anything you think I need to be not just obedient, but joyfully obedient and fully obedient. Even if that gift embarrasses me, doesn't seem like a good fit for me, you get to set the agenda. You get to give to me anything I need to fulfill the agenda. Here I am. And I'm not even sure I believed it when I prayed it. But I prayed it. In all of that verbiage, about the challenge offered to the church and to the apostles. Jesus understands exactly what they're thinking. And he says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. I will send you the Comforter. I will not leave you as orphans. And here's the great question for us today. At least a great question. Have we been trying to live a faithful and joyful Christian life without the filling the presence, the power, the gifting of the Holy Spirit of God. That's a meal that's going to leave you hungry. Powerless. Wanting. And it's certainly not going to leave you any peace. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're reminded by the apostles... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wow, what a wonderful juxtaposition. I can do all things through Christ who empowers me and strengthens me. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to end this message today by giving us a moment to reflect. A moment to have silent prayer. And I'll walk us through some of that prayer. But this is going to be prayer like doing some real business with the Holy Spirit, and ask ourselves the question, am I open to, yielded to the Holy Spirit? Am I willing to receive the gift the Holy Spirit has for me? Am I willing to admit my need for his power in my life? Am I ready to have the Holy Spirit become more than a concept that I'm aware of, but a person that I experience? 
Let's be silent for a second and, and just pray around that question. Listen to God. Ask Him, Holy Spirit, speak to me in, in, in ways I can hear it. Here, here I am. What do you need to teach me? Have I been closed to you? Have I been arm's length? Have I been telling you I love you but not willing to dance with you? Take a moment just in silence. Get raw with him. Get real with him. Ask him to speak to you, to correct you. For some, this is a, a, a prayer of invitation. For others, it might be a prayer of repentance. Let's be quiet for a second, and then I'll guide us a little beyond that. Here's the question. Am I open to you? And if I'm not, reveal it to me. Change me. Silent prayer. You might pray this prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Honored be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. A prayer of yieldedness. Holy Spirit, your will be done. Invade me, Holy Spirit. Or this prayer. I need spiritual gifting. I know that. But I'm not aware of the best spiritual gifts for me to follow you fully. So right now, even if I do it with a shaky voice and even a little bit of a reluctant heart, find the mustard seed of faith in my heart and respond to that by giving me the spiritual gifts. Distribute them, Lord. Give them to me, the spiritual gifts you want me to have. Forgive me for resisting. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill me. The peace that I experience doesn't know how to coexist with fear. It doesn't shout down fear. It's shouted down by fear. The peace that I experience doesn't run toward the flame. It pretends there is no flame. Address that, Holy Spirit. Correct me. Or this prayer. I lack the power, the internal fortitude, to respond to my official convictions. And I'm kind of tired of reading about power. 
I'd like to be able to write some things about power, true power that God gives. The power to defeat my insecurities. The power to be the man or woman I often pretend to be. So Holy Spirit, I hear you have dynamite power. Release it in me, I pray, for your sake. Our Father, who art in heaven, dominant, recognized, honored be your name. I long for your agenda to come, to fall in line with that agenda as you lead. I long to be a part, and we long to be a part as a community of the dream of God being fulfilled, worthy investments your will be done. And we lack everything just about to get that done, except for the best of intentions. So would you give us this day the daily bread we need to live into your dreams for humanity and to play our part? And forgive us for our sins, for we have no power on our own to forgive our sins. We have plenty of power to commit them. But we hide ourselves in the cross. We lean on the promises of Jesus, the promises of God that if we confess our sins as opposed to pretending we have no sins, you're faithful and good and just and will forgive those sins. That's where we hide ourselves. Forgive us our sins and make us Great forgivers of sins. Take us to the place, O oh God, where our first inclination is to forgive. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live like that. To live with that kind of peace. And of course, we pray that you would not lead us into temptation, but all the way through temptation to the place of deliverance. Because yours is the power, not ours. Yours is the kingdom. It's your agenda, not ours. Yours is the glory, and you'll share it with no one forever and ever and ever. We long not just for peace, but for Advent peace. A peace that understands the place of fear peace that is so stable, so unshakable, that it allows us to move toward the bullets, not away from them, to be the true church of Jesus. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.